The theme for today is maintaining a unified outward focus. And the Bible reading comes from Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, may my joy make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Please stand as you are able as we respond with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I invite Pastor Peter forward. Tell me when you need a hand. Well, good morning to you all. It's great to be here with you, great to be sharing God's word and great to be amongst uh, friends old and new. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you speak to us today and that you speak to us every day, as Perry said earlier, that uh, we can tune in to your ever-whispering voice. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you now to uh, calm external thoughts and to heighten our receptivity to your comfort and consolation and to your empowerment and enriching. And we receive this in confidence through Jesus our Lord. Amen. So you can see the theme on the screen, maintaining a unified outward focus, based on Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, Paul loved the Philippians and we know that he loves the Philippians because of the language that he uses. In fact, when Julie and I got married in 1985, we chose some of Paul's words from Philippians chapter 1 
as the basis for our wedding text because Paul is just gushing and overflowing about his love for them and and a mutual love for one another. But then in the beginning of uh, chapter 2, Paul starts to embark upon a a theme which appears throughout the letter and that is the theme of unity. But the basis of his appeal to unity is his love for them. But more than that, their love being grounded in Jesus... And he starts off by saying, listen to the the superlatives that he uses, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from my love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. You think, wow, with, with all that exhorting, with all that encouraging, what's he going to say? And he says this, be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord be of one mind. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. He carries it on into chapter 3. Let those of us who are mature be of the same mind. He carries it into chapter 4. I urge Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind. Whatever you think of Paul, I want you to put it aside for a minute and I want you to think of a doting grandfather. I want you to think of a loving father whose kids are just about to travel overseas for the first time. This is who is writing. His heart is so full of concern and and so full of love. And he wants the best for his kids. I remember not long ago, just over two years in the nursing home at Glind, uh, sitting by my dad's bed, in his last week of life and uh, my brother had been there earlier and dad sat up in bed from uh, being unconscious, looked at Michael, grabbed his hand, said family is everything, closed his eyes and lay back down again. When I was there uh, not long after, he said, look after each other, look after each other. That's what Paul's saying. Not necessarily on his deathbed, but he's saying, your brothers, your sisters, your family, look after each other. Be there for each other. Be of one mind. You odia and syntyche, come on. You're two mature women. <laughs> Get together. Put your preferences aside. And then he, he says, it's not only you odia and syntyche's problem. He says in chapter 4, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. So we're to look out for one another. I want to share a number of twos. There are two ways of forcing unity or maintaining unity, sorry. There are two ways of maintaining unity. One is by enforcing it. Now, anyone who's been a parent or anyone who's been around kids, or anyone who's visited a childcare centre, know that you can't force unity. Uh, You can buy two kids the same age, the same toy, and they will manage to fight because they want the one that the other one's got. You can try and enforce unity all you like. It it doesn't happen. Or it can be a natural byproduct of life together. The second lot of twos. There are two paradigms in scripture um, or two paradigms in in church life. A paradigm is a way of viewing the world. It's a a perspective. 
there is the shepherding paradigm. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that the risen Christ has given gifts to his church. And the gifts are that some should be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, which we sometimes translate pastors, and teachers. Uh, some translations don't have a common between, comma between the last two. They say shepherding and teaching because the way you shepherd is by teaching. Don't think of teaching as what I'm doing here. Think of teaching as a parent teaching a uh, 16-year-old how to drive. It's where you get out of the driver's seat that you've sat in all your life and you hop in the unfamiliar seat and let them hop into the driver's seat and bunny hop their way into a new future. That's teaching, and the best way of shepherding is by teaching. But we have lost that. Now, let me just say for a moment that a shepherding view is a very powerful one, and it's a very scriptural one. In John chapter 10, Jesus says that I am the good shepherd. Uh, But he also says that he's the gate, and he wants us to come in and to go out and find pasture. But what has happened over... 2,000 years of Christianity, as we have become increasingly institutionalized, we have forgotten that uh, we are a sent people and we have become a, uh, a shepherding people and we focus mainly on the fact that Jesus has taken us in from the big wide world and he's put us in his sheep pen and then he's the gate across the, uh, the front. But we focus on life in the sheep pen, forgetting that the gate, Jesus, takes us out the next morning. And in the sheep pen, we've sort of um, turned Christianity inwards. You know, bah, feed me, pastor. Bah, visit me, pastor. Bah, pray for me, pastor. Bah, I'm sick, pastor. Bah, come and lead the the, the Bible study, pastor. Uh, Forgetting that you can pray for someone. Uh, You know how to visit someone. You can bless someone. You can make them a cup of coffee. Which is where we come to the second paradigm, And that's the apostolic paradigm. High concentration required for 30 seconds. In the New Testament, the original language, the Greek word is apostello, that's the verb, and the translation is to send. And apostolos, the noun, is a sent one. So when Paul says that he's an apostle, it just means he's a person who's sent. Jesus is an apostle. He's the chief apostle. Uh, the, the gospel of John is chock-a-block full of the word send. In John chapter 17, Jesus says, um, uh, praise Father, as you have sent me, so I send them. In John chapter 20, it says, Jesus breathed on them, the 12, and said, receive the Holy Spirit, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The Latin word, for send is missio, from which we get our word mission. Now, mission is not just going overseas. You are sent to the very place from which you've come. You're sent to your home. You're sent to your families. You're sent to your neighbours. You're sent to those who are in your world. I'm not sent to the people who are in your world, but you are. I'm not sent to your kids, Perry. You're sent to them. And you're not sent to my kids. I'm sent to them. So I don't expect you to pray for my kids. You can if you want to, but I don't expect you to. Yeah? That's my responsibility, my privilege, and my calling. That means I'm a sent person. 
instead of, uh, let's go to the next lot of twos. <laughs> the next lot of twos is there are two focuses in congregational life. And one is inward looking and one is external or outward looking. Just the same as there are two focuses in your life, inward looking or outward looking. And the inward looking focus is one that will always end up being moldy, just like in your bathroom. You know, you keep having hot showers and you never put the exhaust fan on and you never open the window. There's going to be mold that comes over a period of time. Unfortunately, Western Christianity, we end up with plenty of moldy Christians. Yeah, we just like having nice showers in the Holy Spirit. But there's no outlet. There's no sentness. Now, here's the thing. While the shepherding paradigm is a significant and powerful one, it is not the main paradigm of Scripture. The only paradigm, the only view of Scripture is the sent one. The Father sends Jesus. Jesus comes, gives his life, says to the disciples, sorry, I've got to go, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and he says, I will send, I will fill you, I will empower you, uh, I will fill you, and then I will send you. And he sends you to bless. He sends you to pray. He sends you to visit. He sends you to journey. Let me give an illustration. Thanks, thanks Perry. Um, my six volunteers can come up now, thanks. The year is 1999. I am the pastor here, or one of the pastors here, and I get to that beloved stage in life, which is called long service leave. Oh. I was speaking to an American lady on, the, on a plane once. She was, she was a rep here in Australia. And I was flying up to Sunshine Coast. And I said, oh, she says, have you been here before? And I said, oh, yeah, I wasn't here long ago. And she said, what were you doing? And I said, oh, I was on long service leave. And she goes, what's that? She got two weeks holiday a year. Anyway, so here we are. Oh, right hand drive? Who said he can drive? I just He's got the hairstyle, that's right. <laughs> Actually, it was on long service leave that Julie and I became Euodia and Syntyche. We had a fight. We had a big Barney because I shaved my head for the first time. And the kids went upstairs and brought her down and she just took one look, turned around and went straight back upstairs again. So here we are. Now... This is a Holden Commodore. It's a VS, and uh, we had four kids. Auto, manual. Uh, auto, but auto on the tree. Um, handbrake down here, Perry. Now, just imagine, just imagine if we said to these people, forget the Holden Commodore, we just set up these chairs, and we said, right, we'll come back and see you in 10 hours' time. pregnant pause for intent <laughs> yeah it'd be ludicrous wouldn't it and so it's ludicrous as followers of Jesus to gather in a building without intent without being sent every now and then we let them out for a toilet break uh, we went to we went to uh Mildura, where we had relatives the first day then the next day we went to Moree then the next day we went to the Sunshine Coast where I got crook um, and we stayed there for a while and then we went uh, up halfway to Rockhampton and then we went to uh, Matt Tealy's place at, at Townsville and then we got to Cairns and we went up to Mosman Gorge. That's a long time 
with young kids in a Commodore. And as you can imagine, I mean, these are very mature people. As you can imagine, the, uh, how shall we say it? The peace in the car wasn't always present. <laughs> and uh, I had come off, you know, a busy period and then I got crook and we were on the, 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 the road up to Cairns and I was listening to something that my wife had said, which is a very wise thing to do, and that is that, and here's the point of the whole sermon. If you can remember what I'm about to say, you'll remember the whole sermon. You don't maintain unity by focusing on the machinations within the vehicle because they will always go south. They will always be negative because you can only, there's only so much I spy that you can play. There's only so many white horses that you can see. There's only so many spot the red car games that you can play before you all go stir crazy. And they were starting to get stir crazy. And so what we did was remind them, and here's the point, of where we were headed. Why are we in this car? We're going to Cairns. Why are we going to Cairns? Remember, Dad has managed to find a mission house that has a swimming pool. We've got a swimming pool. We're going to go to the Great Barrier Reef. We're going to go and visit Mosman Gorge. We're going to go and swim in rock pools. Now, that didn't alter the fact that there was tension within the car, but it gave purpose to the journey and it gave a forward focus to the trip. Without a focus, without a purpose, and without an external purpose that looks forward and outside of yourself and outside of your comfort and outside of your preferences and outside of your likes, you won't survive the journey. It will always be bam, bam, bam. And whatever they give you, it will never be enough. Thank you, team. Oh, much quieter than our kids in the car. So... A question that people ask is often, you know, I've been involved in small groups, house churches, large congregations, and people ask, what will help? Uh, how, do, how do we stay focused as, as, a, as a community? How do we say, stay smokest, focused as, as a group of six? How do we stay focused as a group of 60? How do we stay focused as a group of 600? Well, it's by asking this question, what will help this community prosper and what will enable us to fulfill the great commission of Jesus? As I wrote in the teaser for the weekly news, I've seen small groups, house churches of 6 to 12 implode, and I've seen congregations diminish, all because they are concerned with the inner workings of the vehicle. Not in a bad way, not in a selfish way. For example, a house church that gathers in someone's home simply to go around the grounds and say, how's your world going? And they go, oh, well, not much different than last week. Thank you for asking. How's your world going? Oh, the lumbago's still playing up. He's not going to go on about his lumbago again, is he? How's your world going? Oh, well, the roses still need pruning. You do that for six weeks in a row. It's a bit... But what if, um, you know... My neighbour's cancer is still there and I don't know what to do about it. But my son decided he can mow the lawns and we've decided we can cook the meals. 
And, you know, they've asked why we're being so interested. I want to talk to them about Jesus, but I'm too scared. Now the small group gathers around, lays hands on them, and prays for them in that situation. All of a sudden, the outward focus, because remember, where are you sent to? Oh, the very place from which you've come, which is your neighborhood, which is your family. So you gather together to discuss affairs of state outside of your world, outside of your own needs, outside of your own interests, and people join in encouraging you and blessing you in your world, and they bless you in your world, and you bless them in their world, and all of a sudden, you've got a focus that's bigger than you, and that's outside of you, and it maintains a unity and brings a a harmony and a peace. This is when you realise that we're not a club for our own needs, desires, or preferences, but we're a community. And we only exist to carry out what Jesus has entrusted to us. Here's a sentence I'm going to read and I'm going to ask you to repeat. We aren't a fellowship-based community that occasionally does mission. We are a missional-based community of which fellowship is a byproduct. After me. We aren't a fellowship-based community that occasionally does mission. We are a missional-based community of which fellowship is a byproduct. Now, let's just put this on the very, very, very simplest of levels. Let's say Perry and I live near each other and we've noticed that our street is dirty and uh, every week we get together and complain about the council and we complain about the neighbours and one day we decide we're going to get some plastic bags and we're going to take responsibility for our street. So what is our focus? Our focus is we're going to take responsibility for our street. And we do this twice a week and we've done it for two or three years now in this imaginary maker. Along the way, Perry shares with me about his lumbago. I share with him about my kids. And we find that after three years, we've become the best of friends Never was our goal to get together to become best of friends. Our goal was to care for our environment. Our goal was missional. It was outside of ourselves. The byproduct is fellowship has never been stronger. There's no bad because I know what Perry's needs are and he knows what my needs are. And we're in each other's world and in each other's lives to meet each other's need. And the fellowship is always the byproduct of an outward focus where we serve and lose our lives for others. As I come to a close, what isn't unity? Unity is not thinking the same. Unity is not being the same. And to stay with an outward focus, we love despite the differences. You don't ask someone what they're gender preferences before you love them. You don't ask them what football team they barrack for before you love them. You don't ask them whether they're Christian or Muslim before you love them. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It just says love one another. Secondly, you don't let the differences disrupt the relationships. You always have differences. Why? Because every single one of us is different. And in an outward focus, we're too busy... (laughs) picking up the rubbish, we're too busy thinking about getting to Cairns to worry about the differences. Thirdly, we take the low road 
putting aside our likes and biases, biases for the sake of the group. That's what it says about Jesus. You know, we look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Jesus left heaven, came down, gave his life, became obedient to death, even death on a cross for you and for me. And therefore God exalted him and gave him the name. And when we follow Jesus and take the low road, uh, God is the one who exalts us. We exercise humility by listening to and learning from others. I love watching cooking shows and I love watching Rick Stein. Rick Stein, who owns restaurants all through Cornwall. And uh, yet when he goes into India, when he goes into Indonesia, he's got two things in his hand. He's got a scrappy old notebook and he's got a pencil. And every time I watch it, I think, what an honour. He's going into some mummer's chef in the, the, the mountains of Italy and he's taking notes. And I'm thinking, how how humble it is to do that and what an honour and so when we take the low road and when we humble ourselves it honours others we operate with the fruit of the spirit when we operate out of love joy peace patience kindness faithfulness gentleness and self-control amazing things happen in all of this we're copying Jesus by living for those who don't yet belong I look at this community, I think of something like Monday night uh, and the, the, the food thing. I think of the people you serve uh, corporately and I just think how that can begin to be manifested individually and as couples. You're not, inverted commas, just a married couple. You're not just a family. You are a family that has been joined together to serve wherever you live. Open your heart, open your home, open your fridge. What an adventure. And think of the fellowship and love and unity it will produce. Amen. Father, we thank you that you have unified us through Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, as we live out your fruit with the gifts that you've given us. Looking to you, looking forward, and experiencing such wonderful fellowship along the journey. Amen.